This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. Hey there, Rainmakers. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Brian Clark, founder and CEO of Copyblogger Media. And we are on a run here lately with uh, great episodes featuring smart guests. And we're kind of dealing with a theme and we're unpacking it week by week by week, drilling down at ever deeper levels. As you recall, uh, we started really this run with a conversation about what is being called by some native commerce, which to me is just really, really well executed content marketing. Um, But I get the distinction in the sense that people out there are calling, you know, writing an article and posting it on your website content marketing. Well, yes, but not from an integrated strategic standpoint. So we've talked about how when you build an audience, you actually figure out what that particular group of people, not some abstract market, them, wants to buy or actually will buy. And then the next step we got into was what you're really creating with that integrated media and product or service uh, approach is an experience. Now, we're always having experiences, and that's something we'll touch on again today. It's just whether or not it's a good experience and whether or not you are influencing that experience. So we've talked about with Robert Rose and a bit with Joe Paluzzi about how content may be the last way to create a unique experience in a world of undifferentiated products and services. So let's drill down a little bit more this week. What are we talking about here when we create a content-driven experience? Well, I can tell you, it's a story. And whether or not you think you're telling a story or or whether or not you are actively trying to tell a story, a story is happening in the mind of your website visitors, of your prospects, of your customers and clients. And you need to be actively participating in that narrative in a meaningful way. You'll never control everything. But if you can position yourself in such a way in the prospect's story of which they are always the protagonist, then you have a shot at not just telling a story, but creating a legendary story, which is a lofty ambition, but it's, it's what we should all be working for. So today's guest is a guy that's been teaching me, I would say, for the last 15 years or so. He was talking about online conversion before that was a thing. <laughs> uh, Mr. Brian Eisenberg, thank you, sir, for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. So the kids are back at school. You're, you're getting it back together, ready to, to go on another sprint until Christmas, right? Or That's, maybe not Christmas. but <laughs> probably, probably not that far, but yeah, close to, close to that. Yeah. So, okay, you've written a fantastic book that... It's kind of directly on point here, and I'm loving how each week we get a uh, another part of the story, no pun intended, mm-hmm. at, at just a, a more granular level. So first of all, tell us a little bit about Buyer Legends and why you wrote the book and what it's intended to accomplish. So a um, c- couple of things. Number one, 
Um, I mean, I know you remember our book, Waiting for Your Cat to Bark. It was a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller. We, we, we did it in 2006, but we were way too early. Um, and it was a great process, and we worked a lot of companies, gave them incredible results, but it was complex, and it took months. And just to fight the battles, as, uh, as you've been talking to Joe and, 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 and Robert about with, with big organizations to, to negotiate, it was clunky and difficult, and, and it didn't feel good for us on, on that aspect. Um, but it was over the last few years that we were asked by a particular company that probably everybody on this podcast has used to look for something in the last, uh, I don't know, few hours, I would imagine. Um, they asked us to come and help them with their organization. And the person who had brought us in there, our, our champion, you know, had read the book, knew the process and said, look, you know what, that's just not going to fly here. You know, uh, working here is like, you know, like walking on quicksand. Everybody's, you know, and everything changes at a moment's notice. We need something a little bit more agile. And so we literally went ahead and we did the Pareto principle. And we said, okay, look, you know, if you can't plan every detail of every aspect of the experience um, with as much clarity as we were doing back then with the software we had created back then, What's the next best thing? What is it that has you know, basically transformed all the organizations and all the marketers that we have trained and worked with over the years that have made them better marketers? And it's exactly what you started with. What, what, what transformed them was the ability for them and their team to basically take the stories from the point of view of their customer first and then translate that to their marketing efforts. And by using you know, the personas and some of the processes that we've, we've outlined from there, they've gotten amazing results. And when we published this book, one of the key things for us was uh, we were not going to produce a book that was nine books in one like we did for Waiting for Your Cat to Bark. Uh, we didn't want something so dense. So we purposely developed a book that was uh, 46 pages on a Kindle that you can read in a half an hour. But more importantly, you can create your first buyer legends in 90 minutes and done. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it's a great book. I remember that I got to see an advanced copy of it before it was out. And uh, I know it had a big impact on a lot of people on our team. You know, Jessica was just like, oh, Eisenberg did it again. <laughs> Both well, Eisenbergs, I should say. <laughs> but but you know what? It, it, it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, dealing with, and I, and, and I love this because kind of like all these worlds kind of circling together. But I'm, I'm working with uh, a, a close friend of mine, um, uh, Bobby, and he's been talking about the Rainmaker platform, right? And he's he's been on a Genesis theme for ages. And the other day he goes to me, you know what? I can't believe I didn't, I haven't waited so long to switch. He said, it's like the Mac experience versus the PC experience. Okay. That was that was one of our earliest comments and I was so proud I could not have asked someone to, to say it better. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, you're so right. And but this is the thing that I don't I think a lot of people don't get about this uh, this idea behind this native advertising. And so so let, let let's unravel it more. The, the probably the best ones at this based on market cap alone is Apple. Apple has been doing this for decades since Steve Jobs came back and you know gave that great speech about you know values to uh, to the Apple team and um, you know launched you know the, the the crazy one campaign okay and everything that Apple does right and it's not that they're producing tons of content right and I think this is an important thing it's not the tactic of producing content they create products that enable 
great experiences among their audience. And they present it as such. All their advertisements are as such. Everything about their retail store is, is as such, right? If you think about it, you know, the, the, the whole story about even, you know, the laptop sitting in their, uh, you know, on, their, on the uh, tables in, um, in the store is at 76 degrees so that people have to interact with them. Yep. Right. That's a story. And they know that the customer is going through something because they're going to get to that laptop, look at it and say, well, that's, that's not the way I would use it. And they adjust it. And now it's become part of their story. It's interesting because I've done an analysis a couple of years ago about how Apple is so great about positioning us as the hero and them as the enabler of, of our feats of greatness. And that's, that's it. I mean, that is what's happening. The, these companies that position themselves as Nike. Nike's yeah. the other one, right? Yeah, Nike's great. I, I always tell people, and I, I, I actually sent this the video of Steve Jobs do, doing that speech to uh, to Bobby last night because I wanted to get him inspired. He's working on a new project, <laughs> and I'm like, um, you know, I was trying to inspire uh, him on this, and I was like, you, you know, he talks about Nike and how they've always focused in on just highlighting great athletes, and that's really what good branding is about. It's not about your product or what you want to say is great about you, but it's highlighting what customers can do with your products, what they can create and making them the hero of their buyer journey. And that's the whole reason behind the concept of buyer legends, right? Uh, and it's and it's twofold, right? You know, the legends come from people being able to tell the story that they had to someone else. And, you know, we hear that all the time with people who've had great experiences at an Apple store um, or companies like Airbnb, which I also want to uh, touch on uh, in a little bit. Um, but also, we need to give them the guidepost. And I think that's the critical part of the marketing process that as marketers, most are not doing. You know, they're thinking of the production of the content but they're not thinking about how to get those guideposts in place and the metrics in place to know that people are on track and are progressing on their journey. Right. So you're familiar with customer experience mapping. Is that an analogous kind of concept um, in that you have to understand the path that they're walking on, what the touch points are, where the uh, friction is in order to have any sort of street strategic approach to creating content that actually facilitates the journey. I mean, we were talking before we went on the air and you, you were telling me the story about how everything is content. Just like I have said earlier, everything's an experience. It's just not necessarily a good one. Tell me about your recent experience with Staples. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I was back in, in Brooklyn visiting my mom, you know, I'm living now in Austin loving the heat here. Um, but anyway, uh, visiting my mom and I had some stuff that I wanted to ship back to my house. And, you know, I figured, you know, I'm not the only small business guy who walks into Staples knowing that they're a UPS shipping center, UPS, USPS shipping center, and a, a FedEx uh, pickup place. And I'm like, it's Staples. This should be fairly simple. You know, I'll grab the couple things I need to ship, bring them over. I should be able to get a box, tape it up, label it, figure out who's the cheapest shipper and send it, right? Doesn't sound too complicated. Should Right? Am, I, am I correct? Yeah, I mean, seems reasonable, but then again, we live in this world, so go yeah, ahead. <laughs> I, I mean, I've done this a million times with, you know, like the UPS store local to to my house, where you know I've had to go ship something back, and I, I had to ship my son's baseball bat back. You know, the the cap popped off; he he hits a little too hard. Um, but I was able to bring the bat. They had the right size box. They packed it up and gone. 
So I figured, okay, I'm going to go do this with Staples. So that's the closest thing to my, my mom's house. And so I walk in there and I go to the first clerk and I say, okay, I've got these couple things I need to ship. She's like, okay, great. Well, you've you got to go over there and uh, find a box. I'm like, okay, um, what size box? And she's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, could you give me some, some idea of what you think might work? She said, no, sorry, I really can't. And so she points me and literally the boxes are the complete opposite side of the store of where the shipping place was. So I get over there, and of course, none of the boxes are are built, so you can kind of see sizes. They're just these big, flat pieces of cardboard. So I finally grab what I say. I'm just going to go big. I'm, you know, my philosophy is go big or go home, right? <laughs> grab it, bring it back, pay for it, go back to the shipping place, and I get there. I'm like, okay, so um, I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm, you know, we're getting ready to pack it, and there's one woman who's there, and she's using the only tape gun these guys have to pack like basically a shoebox and literally it's taking her well over five minutes to put tape on a shoebox. And even the guy, the clerk there now is looking at it and you know, he can't believe it, but that's the only tape gun they have. I'm like, okay, no problem. <sighs> Finally get the tape gun, close the bottom of the box, put my stuff in it. And of course the box is way too big. He says, well, but you can cut the box. I'm like, oh great. Do you have a pair of scissors I can use? This is staples. A, few, a minute later, they bring me over a scissor and it's one of those bright yellow kitty scissors <laughs> to cut a thick cardboard box. And I'm like, you really don't have any other scissor? And they're like, no, sorry. And I'm oh like, goodness. I'm like, really? So yeah, our scissor broke last week. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, this is freaking staples. <laughs> okay, they have hundreds of scissors on the shelf. They sell over five, 514 different types of scissors on the website. Now, even if it's inventory controlled, they can't pull it off the shelf. Don't you think somebody could have pulled off three bucks out of their pocket to grab a decent pair of scissors? Yeah, no, I mean, is, does this keep going? Because This, this keeps going. It, <laughs> it, it gets worse and worse and worse, but, th but this is a problem, right? And this, this, is, this is what well, These happens. are all foreseeable fails. I mean, it's not like you would it's assume. just unexpected. Uh, that even the location of the packing materials in, in relationship to the shipping center, you know, this is a complete customer experience fail. Yeah, well, but this is why I mentioned Airbnb beforehand. So um, one, one of the great brands that have done this, um, and I encourage everybody to go ahead, it's a great piece of content marketing. And only, unfortunately, it's only available on Fast Company. But there's this one video of... Airbnb going through their design process called Snow White. And it's how they planned the whole experience from guest to host and all that. And they talk about how they brought in all the stakeholders and they even got a Pixar artist to go ahead and, and storyboard. And here's the critical part, what people were going to think and feel at every touch point. And not necessarily going to all the tactics, because those are, of course, important. But if you can't get the right feeling and thinking right, then everything else falls apart. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what we're talking about. It's the experience. The experience comes from how you made people feel. And there's nothing neutral in an experience. Like there's no word that's neutral in something you write. Everything has to have a reason and a purpose. And it's, you know, and if you just take things for granted, right, it fails. And and the reason a lot of this breaks and why we hear great stories of, of brands like, you know, uh, Nordstrom's, right, that re uh, returning tires to, to Nordstrom, stuff like that, is because those same stories of great customer service 
are told outside and inside the company, right? They are legends and they make great legendary experiences because everybody can be on the same page from boardroom to stockroom. And when it's you've got those disconnects, you end up with things like this where, you know what, I'm never walking into a Staples again. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you mentioned something important, uh, and the Airbnb example is a great one. Um, I remember when you spoke at uh, our conference, Dennis was also there, who at the time worked for Airbnb, and he, he talked a little bit about that in his presentation. Right, he, sh- he actually showed that video. And yeah. that, so that one video is, if someone else wants to find it, uh, they can find it on uh, Fast Company. Yeah. So you say thinking, feeling, seeing, you know, so there's a a process called empathy mapping where you can identify those things and then you apply it to the journey at the touch points, just like you said. So, okay, this is, this is good stuff. So give us an indication. I mean, we're dealing with the virtual world. You figure Staples would have an easier job in a physical space and they couldn't get it together. How do we, how do we, use the buyer legends process to basically identify the critical points on that journey and what to do then. So there's one fundamental difference between what we used to do with persuasion architecture in our book, Wayne Cut the Bark, and what we've come up with in buyer legends. And I think this is a critical part. So one of the things that we learned is like, you know, you could build super robust personas to understand all the members of the audience. And, and that's great. Or you can start really simple. The point is to have a different perspective than your own. Um, and, and one of my favorite uh, lines ever um, in the Everything Store about uh, Jeff Bezos, um, and, I, and, I, and I love to remind people of this, and he goes to all the publishers, and the publishers are fighting uh, with him about having reviews in the st- you know, on, on Amazon. And he says, look, 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 you don't get it. Amazon is not in the business of selling books. We're in the business of helping customers buy books. Total change of perspective. True. Okay. So that's the first job, right? You've got to pick a perspective and it's got to be your customer's perspective, not, not yours. And it's hard to do, but you, and you need to create something where you can create empathy around this character uh, of who your customer is. But the key differentiator, the thing that we found is when we used to do the mapping and almost everyone does the mapping the same way is you, we build the map going forward. So customer learns about us from, you know, Brian's Rainmaker uh, podcast. Great. So I, you know, I hear all about the Content Inc. book and I go to the website and I check it out and, I, you know, I read it. And then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to sign up to go to the, the Content Inc. Uh, show. And, and what we do is we tell the story going forward. And what happens is oftentimes when we tell the story going forward is we make assumptions about how they get from point A to point B. Yes, yes. And th- to me, that's the, b- the first problem that needs to be addressed. Like if you get uh, a collection of executives in a room for, for an empathy mapping session or whatever the case may be, they will walk in that door thinking they know the answer to everything, and the first hurdle is to get them to realize, hey, you may be wrong. Correct. So we start by asking people two things. Number one, tell us everything possible that could go wrong with someone purchasing from you online. 
So I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick on my friend, you know, Bobby Tewksbury, right? He's 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 launching a new platform on on Rainmaker called Elite Hitting System. It's for coaching um, your you know your sons or your own uh, baseball swing. Okay. Yep. And so I go to him. I say, okay. What can happen? What could cause someone to come to the website? Let's assume they come to the website. Let's forget about how they find you, but let's assume they come there. What's everything that could go wrong from the time you learn about Bobby and the lead hitting system to not converting? What's everything that could go wrong? And so could, you know, could your son taking a swing inside the house and smashing your computer be something that goes wrong? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> right, but literally, but I mean, you don't want to go to, the, to drastic extremes. But you need to list everything that could possibly go wrong. You know what? Maybe I, I found it, but I found it on my cell phone, and I really just don't want to complete the purchase until I get to my desktop, which we see a lot of, right? Um, and it amazes me how many current sites don't have easy ways for people to 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 basically continue their session. Or, and this is why Amazon dominates online, right? Or to share their session um, from the phone to the desktop at some point, okay? Right. And literally just list out all the different things and what we call a pre-mortem, all the things that could possibly go wrong. Uh, they may have heard about a different competitor and they may have, have questions about this. Just list them all. And then what you need to do is create an outline of your story from where they were successful, and not just successful purchasing, but I usually like to go out. They're a successful evangelist. They love you, okay? They tell everybody how Rainmaker is the Mac of, of content production platforms, okay? Right? I mean, you know, I, 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 you know Brian, my, 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 you know, my wish for you every day is that everybody on your staff is worried about that exact same question. Well, I certainly am. They better right? be. <laughs> well, no, and of course, I know you are, but, it, but right, it's, if everybody in your team was worried about that, right, and everybody in the community was trying to figure out how to solve that problem for everybody, right, now that we're there, how do we work them backwards? How do they get there? How do you get that person who's out there raving about it? How do they get to that step? What did it take? And you literally go back step by step by step by step to how they eventually found you. And then you could start drafting a narrative, right? And you, but and you say that that it's data that that provides this insight in the book. I mean, is is this the time to examine that, or are we just extrapolating basically what could go wrong before we even start looking at the actual numbers? No, no, no. So yeah, of course, you know, I you know, I definitely want to use data to 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 look at some of this, um, you know, and and you know, bringing in you know heuristic uh, you know evaluations, doing some user testing. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to to find things that could go wrong. I mean, so get an expert to evaluate it, always a good thing. Um, and there, there, there are way too many experts who will tell you their opinion. And it's okay, just use them as assumptions. Don't, don't, don't believe it as gospel. Um, even, my, even if I tell you, right? Don't, just use it as assumption. And I've got 20 years doing this. I'm never going to tell you, you know, absolutely this is it. And you do some user testing. Look at your your analytics. Um, I love things like uh, Inspectlet and Hotjar, which kind of like can record sessions, and you can see how people are navigating on your website and where their their challenges were. We we saw some fascinating ones when we launched, um, you know, our my new startup uh, Ideal Spot on, on the website, um, which threw us for a loop because we never expected sixty five percent of our B two B traffic to be mobile. Just that freaked us out. Um, Right, but 
you start using that data. And the data is going to come along also when you create your narrative um, and you, when you create this outline. Because part of what you're going to have to do to create a great legend is identify the milestones, identify the pieces that can be measured so you know whether people are on the right track or not, um, if they're experiencing the right thing or not. And I'll give you an example, right? You know, um, unfortunately this year I couldn't come to your conference, right? And, I, you know, the authority conference I think was one of the, the best conferences I've been to in the last couple of years. And Appreciate you know, that. No, no, absolutely. And one of the things, and I, and I told you that even before I took the stage, just right, just how great the content was and how well it flowed. Like, you know, I was even shocked how you knew better how my content was going to fit with your agenda than I did. So that was, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm curious whether, you know, and this is one of those things that now we're going to make Jessica freak out when she hears this, right? Did you measure how many times people got up and how many people got up per session to go to bathrooms for breaks and stuff like that, right? It's it's something that's a clear telltale sign, whether the, your breaks were long enough, whether the content was interesting, enough, right? It's a whole different, and that's measurable, right? You, you may not be able to measure how many people went to the bathroom, but you can measure whether they're getting up during sessions. That's an interesting point because essentially what we're doing here is marrying effectively a creative process with data. And, and so many people think those are two separate things, right? That's the magic. Um, I was talking to this with a guy who is a uh, baseball scout for the last 40 years. <laughs> and we were t- a lot of baseball summertime. You know, my, I have a 10-year-old who's just obsessed with baseball. Um, but I was talking to the scout and we we're talking about, you know, these organizations like the, you know, the Oakland A's obviously, which were written about Moneyball, that have gone you know, super data heavy. And, and I watched this in the online world, and my friend Jim Novo saw this in you know, the Home Shopping Network. What happens is you, know, you go from the two extremes. You go, everything is art, no, to everything is data, no, to, okay, everybody's going to balance art and data. And the magic happens on the culture and uh, and on the processes and on the on how you execute on the marriage of the two, um, and I think that's that's really where there's great opportunities for people to to really learn how to combine those two things because you're not going to make it work. I mean, look, yes, there are some people who are absolutely just so phenomenally talented and brilliant that they can live on art alone, and there are, there are those who are dedicated and hardworking enough and will kill themselves endlessly on being data-driven alone to be successful. But the average guys like you and I are not going to do it on one extreme or the other. We've got to learn how to use both. Yeah. And that's where most people are. So when you go through the process, this balancing act between uh, creative storytelling and data-driven plot points, if you will, what do you end up with that's tangible that you then – say, okay, let's go execute on this? Well, so after, after we go ahead and we, we create this you know, reverse chronology, this, this, stor- this, this story that we've written in a backwards outline, we then draft a narrative. And what we do is we then take that narrative, and depending on your skill set, you can either create it as a bunch of visual storyboards, you can create them as wireframes, you can, you can create it as a content plan. Um, and, and we do this. I'm right, you know, I'll, I'll do this with someone, and we'll work on creating you know, their, their different personas, and we'll go through this, and we'll identify the reverse chronology, and we'll do, the, we'll do this narrative. And then we'll say, oh, okay, so now, based on this whole narrative, how they have to 
to purchase, we can now start looking at what are the content gaps that we haven't um, given them that helps them buy. And we can start planning all the content we're going to do like for the next six months to a year. And then we look to see, well, you know, are, is this content resonating with these kinds of audience members? And we look at the numbers and we say, okay, well, what, where in this did we not understand? Do we not understand our audience well enough and their needs? Do we not understand, you know, how they would react to particular things? And so we may adjust our execution a little bit. And it's an ongoing cycle of looking at those two things, of getting a better understanding of our audience because the, the clearer we understand our audience, the better it is to, to deliver new products to them uh, you know, and, and, and to really engage them. And, you know, and if it's just execution, then we can look and say, well, you know what? Maybe it was just a you know, bad title, great content, right? But the title just really sucked, yeah. right? That's, that's such an important point in, in two ways because the plan – uh, is an educated guess, and and this process it's a which, hypothesis. Yeah, but much more educated than intuition alone or whatever you feel like putting up there. And yet, once you get into it, you will get absolute, indisputable, real time feedback uh, about whether you got it right with this particular uh, approach or not. And and it is frustrating when you have a great piece of content and you just miss the title, but. These are things that you iterate through. And then also, of course, you're getting those indications of, like you mentioned, new products and services that reveal themselves through the process of taking this extremely buyer-focused approach. And there's one other key thing to this, which, which, is, which is super powerful, and it's what I encourage everyone to do their own legends, is it also provides for a level of accountability that you didn't have beforehand, right? Uh, and it's not just accountability to yourself, but your organization. And w- w- this is the key thing that we found is when we share these narratives with teams, right, everybody was on the same you know, on, on the same wavelength. Everyone was on the same picture. They really got it clearly what we meant by – Delivering a great experience here and making sure, you know, uh, this content resonated with our ads, um, you know, running on YouTube. Everybody was crystal clear. There were no guesses, you know, whether it was, you know, someone uh, working on, you know, uh, the developer or whether it was the designer or the copywriter. Everybody was crystal clear on what we were trying to achieve in that buyer's journey. You know, Brian, I, I'm pretty sure we could sit here and geek out about this all day like we have in the past. But I just looked at Amazon, and this book is only $2.99. Yes. That's, that's quite a deal. I mean, that's not even a latte. Uh, that, was, that was part of the plan and the experience as well. We wanted to keep it so that there, there was nothing that, that's an obstacle. You know, the one thing we've learned over uh, almost uh, 20 years of, of our doing content marketing as well is that the challenge is never um, uh, the price, it's the commitment of time. Um, and so, yes, we could have charged more, but if you can keep the price really low and, and, and make it that not an obstacle, and then we also have a book that's going to take them less than a half an hour to read, shouldn't be an obstacle if it's going to change your business. You know, just, just one guy that we worked with, one of, the, one of the early people who read this book, small business guy, you know, probably a lot of people can relate with him. He has a small e-commerce site, uh, but made the changes and it increased his sales by over 46%. It's one of the first um, uh, reviews on Amazon. We didn't even know about it until he posted it. And it's just because, you know, he went through, did his own legend and it took him, uh, I think like three weeks to execute and everything that he did. So that, that's my favorite part about the reviews. If you look at them, people reading it and actually doing their legends and, and getting results like that. And you couldn't ask for more as an author. 
Yeah. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I mean, price is not a barrier here. Time is not a barrier here. But the 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 beauty here is the process. And you know, if you weren't so busy, you could be around teaching Buyer Legends workshops at two to five grand a pop. Um, and it would be completely worth it. But uh, I, I love this book. It's it's uh, informed a lot of our thinking over the last uh, couple years in not only refining our own processes, but how we attempt to get the light bulbs to go off for other people. So thanks for the book, Brian, but also thank you for your time today. You're very welcome. All right, everyone, that's it for this episode. We will talk more next week. But uh, for now, you know, I $2.99, come on. Pick it up, see if it works for you. The, the magic here is just going through the process, though. It's not how much it costs, and it's not how much time it takes you to absorb the information. Uh, all right, that's it. Brian, take care, buddy. Take it easy.